Welcome to Married to Murder. I'm Clint. And I'm Summer. And we're a true crime podcast. Where I tell him all of my favorite true crime stories, and he's hearing it for the first time, just like you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy a tale of murder. Welcome back again, (laughs) y'all. Been a minute since we've done this. We're not sure we know how to do it anymore. Yeah, we're having to relearn this again. Ouch. What was that? And it wasn't me being klutzy this time. No, it was the precarious placement of some of my modeling tools. And that one is sharp. You're not injured. You're fine. No, but it did pokey me. You'll be fine. I'll live. Yes, you will. Okay. Sorry <laughs> for the episode situation. Once again, I am now without a spleen and... Um, almost two weeks post-op, so hopefully we can get back on our regular scheduled programming and no longer have any further delays. I go back to the doctor tomorrow, and the mass was just a mean old mass and not cancerous, so yay. It was just a red angry thing, or whatever color it was. I was going to say, how you know it's red? It's because red angry thing sounds good. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I'm glad it's gone, but... I'm no, the red angry thing sounds good when it's gone. <clears throat> Wish I didn't have to deal with it. I kind of hate sneezing now. <laughs> At you, ow, fuck. At you, ow, fuck. <laughs> that might be what happens. That has been the uh, song of the day around here lately. Because apparently I sneeze more when it hurts more. And I had no idea you used so many abdominal muscles. So your mask is what you're saying. Not on purpose. I can't control it. All right. I won't talk about any. Of the Iowa stuff? It's not Iowa. (laughs) I will not talk about any news stuff. I will just give a trigger warning of domestic violence. And unless you have something else to add, we will go straight into our case. Um, I can't think of anything right off me. I guess... We're kind of all happy and healthy over here at this point. I wouldn't consider. I mean, I guess I'm healthy. I don't know. I don't feel healthy. Healthier than was two weeks ago. True. I guess. Anywho. All right. We're going to be talking about Jill Cahill. Okay. But first, we're going to talk about James Francis Cahill Third. Would this be father, brother, or husband? Future husband. Okay. And even though he was James Francis, he went by Jeff. So from this point forward, we will be calling him Jeff. My name's Jeff. Because he's named after his dad. He was born July 28, 1960 to James and Patty Cahill. He was the third of six kids. (laughs) So for some reason, they had twins, Brian and Kevin. Then they have Jeff. So they named the third kid as the third after the dad instead of naming one of the twins. Don't know why. Yeah, I can't explain it. But then they had another set of twins, Mark and John. Oh, what the fuck? And last but not least, Tim. So they had six boys. I'm that sorry. That sounds like torture. If you have six boys, God bless you. If you have anything more than two, God bless you. Even if you have two, maybe God bless you. Like, they're just, I mean, it's ER visits. 
sports teams, extracurriculars. Okay, well, girls have like pageants and cheerleading, and they do sports. I mean, softball is not cheap. No sports are cheap. Yeah, like any sport is like cheerleading is expensive. Like I've got friends who have daughters that cheer, and they have to travel out of state all the time for cheer competitions, and they have to be all perfect and have their hair and makeup done and look cute, plus be athletic. That's a lot of work. All right. Well, they moved around a lot because of their dad's work. As is typical. Speaking of work, Mom Patty was a piece of work. A piece of work. Piece of work. Really? She was obsessed with being Catholic and very religious. Like, to nothing wrong with being Catholic, nothing wrong with any religion. Believe what you believe. But to the point of where it It, was extreme. If it becomes an obsession, that means there's a problem. She was super strict. I expected the boys to basically do everything. Like, I'm t- we're talking like not just as small children, but like as men. Like, as they grew up, they should. She ruled that roost. If one I'm of guessing the- she did not work outside of the home? I don't believe so. Plus, you have to remember she's having kids in the 60s. Yeah, and that era wasn't. It was and still, even now, with six kids, it would be hard to do. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine that daycare bill? I would die. I mean, hell, so, just with three, we had a killer daycare bill. Right. Which is why one, one of us, almost at all times until they were old enough to start staying in the afternoons by themselves and in school, was doing the stay-at-home parent bit. No. She was, like I said, super strict. If they, like, if they left and went to school and had not made their bed, and she went upstairs and found, like, they didn't make their bed, she would literally go to the school, embarrass them in front of their classmates, bring them back home, and make them make the bed, and then bring them back to school. Oh, hell no. If I was that teacher, it would piss me off. I'm like, we're in the middle of class. I'm going to need you to calm down. Yeah, that, that is not a valid excuse, reason to... Check somebody out of school. Patty's father had been a doctor, saying they she grew up with like a decent amount of money and some snobbery to go with it. So that made it even worse. Well, obviously there was some snobbery there. So all of the boys were expected to do well. Jeff followed the plan <laughs> and graduated from Cornell with a degree in economics. His twin older brothers actually joined the CIA. Well, ain't they just fancy? Which is going to be interesting when you hear what else happens in this case. Jeff ended up moving to Syracuse, and he took a job at Merrill Lynch. So, okay, not exactly a small company. Yeah, he's basically working as a stockbroker. So, okay. decent money. So, he had a roommate at that point in time, Mike Morrissey, was somebody that he had known as a child. And in the summer of 1986, Mike and Jeff were out at a bar, as you do with your roommate. Yeah. I'm sure he didn't let his mom know where he was, even though he was an adult. Mama Patty would not have approved. Uh, you think? No. And Mike introduces Jeff to a blonde flight attendant. Would this happen to be our Jill? Let's talk about Jill Catherine Russell. So the pre-K Hill days? Yes. 
She was born March 9, 1957 in Tonawanda, New York to Fred and Joan. Now, Tonawanda is like, hopefully I'm saying that right, y'all, is 10 miles from Niagara Falls, the way up there, like North New York, not like New York City. She had an older sister, Deborah, and a younger brother, David. Now, the Russell kids had a modest but happy upbringing. She had, like, the complete opposite life that Jeff had grown up in. Their parents, her parents were not, like, strict. She was very, um, she's almost like a flower child, like you would think of in the 70s, even though. I mean, technically, she did kind of grow up in the 70s. Like, not irresponsible. Like, she always had a job and stuff, but it was like, she wasn't in that. I'm going to grow up and get married type thing, you know, and have kids. Like, that wasn't her her game at all. So, she was a tomboy, and she was constantly on the move when she was little. And her parents were super supportive. Like, they weren't like, you just need to settle down, or you just need to do this, or a good girl would do that. Like, they were just, you want to do this? Okay. Of course you do. So, she was a super friendly and outgoing person who loved fashion. She was extremely beautiful. Extremely. Like, kind of like Farrah Fawcett looking, which was, you know, the big thing in the 70s. Also, boys tended to be a big fan of her. Probably had something to do with the great personality and the gorgeous looks. She initially planned to be a teacher and started college at the State of New York Agriculture and Technical College. And she got her associate's degree there. And then in 1976, she transferred to SNYU. SNYU. Fix that for me, Clint. <laughs> she transferred S U N Y Plattsburgh. So, this is where she met Rick Thompson. So, who is from a very wealthy family. However, that relationship did not last long. She wasn't ready to settle down and she needed some adventure. So, Jill and her roommate, Rosie, just up and decided that they were going to move to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where Rosie's brother was. So now they've moved from New York to Florida. So they just went from one of the uh, East Coast to the other. Yeah. She's, I feel like doing this today, we're going to do it. Type of girl. Like, she's that, she's fun. I, I think she would uh, very thoroughly embrace the YOLO mentality. Very much probably would have. So while she's down there, she meets Greg Owens. And she falls really hard. She calls her parents on Memorial Day 1979 and says, guess what? I'm engaged. I got married today. Wait, what? Yeah. Didn't tell them ahead of time. Just said, oh, I got married today. And her parents were like, of course you did. Of course you did. Like, they weren't even shocked. They were just like, of course you did. It was funny. So Greg also happened to be from New York. About 19 miles southwest of Syracuse. Mm -hmm. So not too, too far from where she was from. So they would kind of go to New York and go to Florida and go back and forth and like visit their family. And they were able to stay with Greg's mom. This marriage, however, did not last long. Considering they got married so fast, not really surprised. But Mm -hmm. it didn't seem like it was like a, it was just kind of like a mutual, this isn't working. Type thing. Like, we've grown apart. There wasn't, like, any drama with it. She still got along really well with her mother-in-law. 
our ex-mother-in-law. Mm-hmm. Like, she still stayed with her at times after the marriage. They, That's weird. She liked her. She was a very likable person. Their marriage ended in 1983. And that's when Jill decided to become a flight attendant because she wanted the travel and the adventure. Hey, 83 is a very good year. She dated several men after the divorce, a famous older artist, a young DA. And in 1985, Jill moved in with her friends, Zany and Martha. Zany, there's a name you don't hear anymore. Z-A-N-E-Y. So when they met, Jeff was only 26. Jill was 29 at that point. And they had an instant attraction. Like I said, she was beautiful. She was blonde. She was five foot ten. So she'd actually that's done some, tall. Yeah, she'd actually done some modeling while she was down in Florida. So at twenty nine, Jill's finally like, you know what, my older sister, she like married her high school sweetheart Bill. They got two kids. Maybe I need to like finally get my shit together and start having some kids and getting married. Maybe it's time to be domesticated. Yeah, maybe I should. I've had enough of this. Adventure stuff. Maybe it's time for me to settle down. So that's what she was looking for. And Jeff was never very adventurous anyway. They really had very opposite personalities. It's kind of interesting that she liked him. I see why he liked her. Because she was everything he wasn't. I don't know what all. I don't know if she just was. He just caught her at the right time. Well, they say opposites attract. This is true. I mean, hell, I I got you. Because at this point. Her little brother was also married, too. So, she was the only one not married. I don't know that we're exact opposite. We're somewhat opposite. Now, a lot of our interests are, are on uh, opposite ends of the spectrum. But we're very much the same on, like, our beliefs and our... For the most part. You know, those kind of things. So, which I, like, the important stuff that you don't need to be opposite on. It's okay that I like sports and you don't. You can still be married and get through that. <laughs> and you're still going to bug the hell out of me about them. Yep. All right. <coughs> Maybe, like I said, it wasn't long before the two left their respective roommates and moved in with each other. Uh-oh. How do you think Patty felt about that? I'm going to say Patty was not happy. Patty was not a fan. She would, like, just show up at their house. With, like, they would wake up and she would be at the foot of the bed with a Bible, reading Bible verses to them. Uh, Patty was the roommate, right? No, Patty is Jeff's mom. Okay. Uh, you know I'm bad with names. I know. Well, I'll just say Jeff's mom. No, no. now, now that know, I know. I don't want anybody, I don't want to wake up with anybody that I didn't invite into my house at the foot of my bed. Much less reading me uh, after Bible verses. the first time that happened, uh... Mommy's key would be revoked. You wanted Jeff to stand up to his mom? You can stare at me. If I, <laughs> I don't disagree with you. I'm just saying. You have high expectations for Jeff Boy. I mean, unless there's an emergency, you better be knocking on the damn door before you stroll up in this motherfucker. Well, in 1986, Jeff left Merrill Lynch. He hated being a stockbroker. It was super boring. And he decided that he wanted to work with wood. So he started his own company called Common Structures, which is actually a cute name. So he wanted to be a construction worker. Kind of. But, and Jill was all for it. She wasn't worried about money. She wasn't like, oh, don't quit your job. We don't have a nest egg. You know, you need to wait, blah, blah, blah. She was, 
this what you want to do? Let's do it. She had actually nicknamed Jeff the Prince. Really? It was destined to go bad. Yeah. After that. So soon, Jill was pregnant. Right, row. And the two decided to get married. Right, row. Her parents didn't even meet Jeff until after the wedding. So she was married twice, and her parents have never met the guys beforehand. Wild child. Uh, it's salt night. As you can imagine, Jeff's mom was neither thrilled with the marriage or the pregnancy. And Patty refused to attend her son's wedding. Well, Patty is just a cunt with a capital C, isn't she? Somehow, though, they end up moving down the street from Jeff's parents. This seems like the last set of parents that you would want to live by. I mean, we're literally next door neighbors with my dad. But he don't act anywhere near this bad. No, God no. And even when your parents were living at the opposite end of the subdivision we're in front of. You know, that wasn't an issue. Because none of us stay up each other's ass. We're not into that. Right. Come over. Give me whatever you need to give me. Relay whatever information you relay. Catch up a little bit. Peace out. The best part was that the boys could ride their bikes to their mom's house. And then, like, she would give them, like, sweet tea and, like, fruit or some kind of other food and, like, send them back home. It was a two-mile ride. They got, like, a little pit stop. And then they could ride their bike back. Two-mile one way. Get your... Hit your rest stop two miles back. <laughs> All right. So Jill left her flight attendant job after she got too far along in her pregnancy. I can't imagine being a flight attendant while you're pregnant. That seems like that would, like, big pregnant, like, that would suck. I'm sure they do it, but it does not sound like fun. I'm, I'm sure after a certain point, though, there is, you're medically grounded, so to speak. Probably. I would think so. On February 2nd, 1988... Timothy Ian Cahill was born. Okay. And after Timothy's birth, the relationship between daughter-in-law and mother-in-law actually improved somewhat. Well, that's a shocker. Well, she really did like the grandkids. So she liked Timothy, and Jill did make a huge effort. Because she would, like, tell her family about, like, like, she didn't throw a fit when her future mother-in-law, like, came up in the house or whatever. Like, she would tell her family about it, and they'd be like, are you freaking insane? Like, did y'all tell her off? And she wouldn't. Oh, like, no, she'd no. just be like, oh, she's quirky. Oh, she's weird. No, no, no. And, like, she made an effort to start going to church and, you know, trying to please her and all that kind of stuff. Way more than I would have done. It, she's a much better daughter-in-law than me. Sorry. <laughs> oh, me, Ruth. <laughs> Well, but luckily, your mom's a much better mother-in-law than Patty, exactly. so, it, so it works out. <laughs> what I've discovered and learned over the years, anybody who is any sort of extreme fanatic for anything, doesn't matter what it is, typically leads to bad things. Well, Jeff wanted another baby, like, almost immediately, even though... Jill's doctor had advised against it for medical reasons, so he kind of pushed for it. So, Mary Catherine was born three months premature on July 15th, 1990. And now they have two kids, Tim and Mary. That's not necessarily a good thing. Three months premature is not great. That's an understatement. 
All right. So despite having the two kids and buying a new house to renovate in Spafford, the marriage was going downhill. So they bought this new house uh-huh. that was like a fixer-upper. Like, it's a big house. And, like, if you actually fixed it up, you know, if he kind of sold her on this idea, let's buy this house and we'll fix it up and it'll be this grand home. And You're living yada, in a perpetual yada. project. And he wasn't doing it. You know, it was, I'm going to, we're going to, you know, I'm go- I own my own construction company. I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix that. So let's buy this fixer-upper and all her stuff would be broken. And people would come over and she would do her best to decorate everything and make it all pretty. And like her yard was beautiful because she was a great gardener. And she would do everything to try and fix it up. But he was just sitting around watching TV and not doing anything. There's an old saying. The mechanic's car is always the biggest piece of shit in the parking lot. The same thing goes for the contractor's house. He spends all day working on everybody's house. He don't want to come home and work on his own. I've heard that before, but this is not the reason. Usually that's because they've worked for 10 or 12 hour days because they own their own business and they're tired when they get home. This was not Jeff's case. Jeff was not working 10 or 12 hours a day and bringing in lots of money. Jeff's company was underperforming. And he wasn't bringing in any money. Well, and they were Jeff. barely making it. And he would either do stuff for people and not want to charge them like a full price. Or he'd give them discounts because he wanted them to like him. Or he wouldn't do, like, he was just lazy. Bad Jeff. No donut. So it wasn't, I don't have the time to fix it. It's. Um, I just don't want to. Yeah. And she was frustrated. So she ended up. Two of her friends and her opened their own landscaping business because people had complimented her on her yard so much, and she would help her friends and stuff, and people would be like, hey, that's so beautiful. Like, who did that? And she'd be like, oh, I did. And so they would be like, well, can you come help me? So they just ended up opening their own landscaping design company, and it was called Flower Fairies. Is that the cutest? I love it. If you say so. I would have, if I had, like, an actual landscaping money. Landscaping, paying money. Guy I know here locally has a uh, company called Legends Landscape. Okay. Flower Fairies is way better. (laughs) You want your legend landscaping people coming over, or you want your flower fairies to come over and fix it? They would do me a fairy garden. Can you think of how cool that would be? Uh, Seeing some of the uh, Legends uh, yard work, yeah, I'd pick the Legends. I just like the name. We can't afford either, so it doesn't really matter. So her business took off really well, like to the point where they would have to turn down business because they didn't have enough, you know, like time. Hey, too much business is a good problem to have. So, of course, Jeff is jealous because he opened his own company and he's not making money. And it couldn't possibly be his fault that he's, you know, not out there hustling and bustling and giving this great quality and getting this great reputation. It has to be her fault somehow. Well, of course. You know, how dare she do better than him? So this, you know, conflict in the marriage continues to grow because he's jealous of her. She's upset that he's not making any money. She, you know, would really like to be home with her kids, but she can't because she's got to be out there working. Um, and they're at the point where, like, their electricity is getting cut off and they lost their health insurance. Been there. Not a good place to be. So then Jeff even got arrested for bouncing checks. Y'all remember the days when you could bounce checks? I don't even think you can do that anymore. Uh, 
I want to say most. Do y'all know what checks are? First of all, <laughs> do we have four listeners that are so long, young they do not know what checks are? Somebody said today, I was listening, and they were like, the older people on TikTok, a.k.a. the people born in the 90s. I was like, I'm sorry, what? What? The older people born in the 90s? My child was born in the 90s. I lived through the 90s. You lived through the 90s. Wasn't born in the 90s, though. No. So the old people on TikTok born in the 90s. If that makes y'all feel old, let me know. Because I sympathize with you. Yet another strike against TikTok. (sighs) Y'all, he doesn't like anything. Y'all should just spam him with TikTok. I would love to if they could do that to you. No. I don't know how they could, but it would be great. They can try, but you know what? I'll ignore every single one of them. That's impolite. You be nice to our listeners. Okay. I do not. If you take and you sit there and you flip the channels on your TV constantly, that's what TikTok is to me. Pointless and annoying. I think ADHD would like it, but. No, I hate it. All right. Back to our story. So Jeff got arrested for bouncing checks and later for shoplifting. So he got arrested more than once. Yeah, so, rubber checks don't get you ready for. Why all this conflict is going on in their marriage, Jill actually runs into a former friend. Former friend? Former friend. Like before she had gotten married the first time, I believe. And his name was Tom. So, with the troubles in her marriage, she did start an emotional affair. He actually lived out of state. He lived in, like, North Carolina or South Carolina. So, but he would listen to her. And... Is it bad when you said that? The first thing that went through my head is uh, ground control to Major Tom? I don't even know what that is. It's a song? Bye. (sighs) Do I sound really stupid because I don't know it? I know who it is. I'm wanting to say Beatles, but I don't think that's correct. Oh, I don't like the Beatles. Sorry, Feel people. free to correct me. You have Google. Google it. And, and I keyboard too far. <laughs> That's lazy. Ground control for what? Ground control to Major Tom. I've never heard of that. I have like, no idea what you're talking about. But if it's a Beatles song, I definitely wouldn't know it anyway. R- remind also, me. Also, I'm not great at naming songs. And if it's not a hip hop song, I probably don't know it by name anyway. But I will continue while you search that and give us that information. So, he, like I said, lived out of state. Oh, I'm sorry. It was not the Beatles. It was David Bowie. Oh, I'm okay that I don't know that. And it's actually called Space Oddity. Odd, uh, Space Oddity. It's a damn good song. But, you know. That's not your type of music. It's not my jam, baby. I'm rock. You're hip hop. Sorry. And country. And Britney. Yuck. I like '90s pop, and I like '80s music. Uh, I'm basic. Bowie is '80s. I listen to some stuff by David Bowie, but I'm not listening to like a ton of stuff. Like yeah. I like. Like Bruce Springsteen rock type stuff. Uh, Bruce Springsteen would be more pop than rock. I don't know that people would say For that, that era, yeah. 
a lot of his stuff would be more Some pop. people are going to fight you on that. Fight me. Come on. <laughs> Bring it on. All right. Tear me up. Bring it on. So, Jill was kind of torn about what to do. She was very unhappy in her marriage. She wanted to keep her family together, but it was getting continuously more difficult. Yes. Challenging. Yes. How much physical items or things, items isn't the right word, activity was going on beforehand is really not known because she didn't really tell anybody. There's, you know, we kind of believe now she probably, there was probably some physical stuff going on that she wasn't admitting. Um, I mean, it wasn't Once that. again, this was, you know, it's still, people still don't like talking about it now. So this nah. was years and years ago. So nobody likes saying my husband hits me or my husband pushes me or any of those things. So that's why we really don't know for a fact exactly what was going on. But she was a little fearful to leave. I mean, that's still kind of the case today in most cases. Oh, yeah. It's really hard to leave. And that is the most dangerous time, as always proven. Well, Tom was being very supportive. And, like, it wasn't like he he seems like a really, really nice guy. Like, just as you hear throughout the story. Like, I know it was an affair. Like, I, I believe it turned from emotional to physical at some point. But that was not the main focus of this like i said he lived out of state he was more there he knew she was going through a lot he was very financially stable and he encouraged her you know he's like you leave i'll take care of you and the kids like whenever you are ready i got you as bad as this is gonna sound you'll probably understand what i mean it almost seems like a warranted affair so to speak i feel like you should always leave before you have an affair, but I do understand when you don't feel like you have the financial yeah. freedom to do so. I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty. Yeah. But, you know, at, at the time, you got to do what's best for you at the time. Yeah, and I mean, he was definitely, it, their marriage was definitely over. It was just her figuring out how to get out of it. And more than anything. Bear in mind, I'm not condoning having an affair. Yeah, neither one of us are. This is probably the most likely you will ever hear me say of... Uh, yes, the affair was bad, but... It was almost more that they were friends than it was an affair. Like, yeah. he happened to be a man, and yes, I, I do believe that at some point that they were physical, but that was not... You know, he was really trying to be her friend and be supportive. He was trying to help and, her in a tough situation. Yes. And it wasn't, which he will continue to do. You'll see. Like, he, it's not, he doesn't cut and run when stuff gets hard, which is what makes me kind of like him. So, in April 1998, so this is the 90s, Jill finally asked Jeff for a divorce and they make a separation agreement. So, she is excited. Like, I have a plan. We're going to do this. We're going to work out custody. He is agreeing to stuff. He is not arguing with her. They have a plan in place. Uh, since we're sitting here talking about this, I'm going to say this plan is not go-to plan. 
they continue to live in the house in separate bedrooms while they are working on the sep- like they're separated, but they're on the same house. Okay, while well, I commend the attempt there, that is never a good solution. It's probably more financially based than anything. Although her family, she goes and sees her family before the incident that we're about to talk about. And her family is like, her family is starting to suspect some stuff. This is why I think that there's some more physical abuse. Because her family was like, we don't really feel safe with you still being in the house with him. Because she's like, she has in her head that he loves their children, so he will never hurt her. That is her thought process. That doesn't work. Please don't ever think. That is not a correct thought process. That will never work for you. Never think that when they are in that kind of state of anger, the kids and their hate for you is stronger than their love for their kids. And it will always be that way. And unfortunately, you kind of speak from experience. I do speak from experience. So I wish I didn't, but I do. (laughs) Not not for me, y'all. No, 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 no. (laughs) Don't go trying to crucify me on that. No, No, we would not be together. But yeah. So, but you definitely. We all have some shitty stuff we've done in the past, but. Or shitty people we've dealt with. Exactly. (laughs) Suitcase to unpack for a different day. (laughs) So don't go crucify me. When she visits her family, like they try and get her to stay that weekend. Like she spent the weekend with them and she's going back. And they're like, why don't you stay with me? You know, her sister's like. Just stay with us. We will take you and the kids in. We don't mind. Mm-hmm. And she's like, no, it'll be fine. And then she makes some joke about how Jeff would never kill her because he loves the kids. Like, she literally says he wouldn't kill me. Oh, wow. We're this far into the episode, and this is the first time I'm going to say I'm called bullshit. So, April 21st. 1998. So we have just, we're about three weeks into our separation. That's about it. Less than that. There is an argument between the two of them. As there would be when both are living under the same roof. What actually causes the argument, we really don't know because we have different versions of the story. So it could possibly be because Jill found out that Jeff was recording all of her phone calls. They're living in the same house and he starts recording her calls and invading her privacy. And possibly she said something to him. Okay, not cool. So they are in the kitchen. The kids are upstairs. Right, row. And they're like nine and ten at this time. So old age. enough to... Old enough to hear their parents fighting. And understand roughly yeah. what's going on. Yes. So he attacks her, twists her arm, and throws her against the wall. Ouchies. She reportedly, because they're in the kitchen, grabs a knife to keep him away from her and attempts to flee through the mudroom. So she is trying to leave the situation. She is not attacking him. She is trying to leave. He grabs her. Seems fight or flight kicked in and she chose flight. She tried. There was an aluminum baseball bat in the mudroom area that he then picks up. Ouchies. And he hits her over the head with it. So then he drags her back (coughs) into the kitchen and continues to hit her over the head with the baseball bat. And she's on the floor screaming for the kids. 
to call because the kids have run downstairs. Well, naturally. And they see their dad hitting their mom with a baseball bat, and she's screaming for them to call for help. And he tells them to go back to their rooms and don't call anybody. Well, they're scared because they're little, and they're Mm -hmm. scared. Obviously, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, that's a traumatizing experience. Exactly. So. Quick, what's the number for 911? Depends on which country you're in, sir. I'm aware. But being that most of our listeners are U.S.-based, that's the emergency number here. 911. Anything, any kind of emergency you have, you call 911 if you're in the States, you'll get somebody. Are you teaching people what 911 is? To any of our foreign travels that are travelers that may Okay, I come thought you were visit. talking to like our U.S. people. I'm like, they know what 911 is? Good Lord. If they don't, they need a re-education. I'm pretty sure they do. Okay, well, they go back upstairs and they go hide in their bedrooms, which is more than understandable. Because he pretty much threatened them. So Jill is on the floor, surrounded by blood. She's still breathing. Mm-hmm. So he calls 911? No. But you just said you called 911 for emergency, sir. You're supposed to. You actually to. helped me out. Like, I wasn't planning on this, but, like, <laughs> I'm just going to, I mean, we just talked about how people know when you have an emergency, you call 911, right? Well, you're supposed to. She called mommy and dad. Jeff called mommy and daddy. That's because he needs a cleanup crew. She's alive. Idiots. So he calls his parents who get a family friend who's a doctor. Like, they stop off and they're like, oh, our daughter-in-law is hurt. We need your help. I don't believe they gave the extended version of our son beat her with a baseball bat in the head. They did not Otherwise, provide an, the doctor would not have come with him. They did not provide an accurate detailing of the situation. Negative. So they finally get there, and the whole time she's been laying there in pain and bleeding. Yeah, I'm, so I'm we're sure not she's talking not about, good shape. like, this is not like 10 minutes, you know, that they live away. Because they've moved, you know, they moved to this other house that they were renovating. They didn't live down the street anymore. Yeah. When the doctor gets there, he's like, uh. What the fuck, yo? Yeah, basically. He's like, this is not something you call the doctor friend for. This is a 911 emergency. What the hell have you done? So he, they immediately call the police. But the fact that he called his parents is just well, fucking he's ridiculous. obviously not a rational thinker. No, he's used to being, having his boobies fixed. And this is why you don't and bail your kids out of everything. Excuses. When the police get there, she is still alive and breathing. On the kitchen floor, covered in blood. And she's moaning in pain. And her left temple is indented. That would be a fracture. Oh, multiple. So she's rushed to the hospital. Now, Jeff is taken to a different hospital to be checked for minor injuries and then taken to the police station. And he tells, like, in his first version, he tells police, that, you know, this is Jill's fault. We got in an argument. She got angry with me, and she attacked me with a knife. And I had to grab the bat, and I had to hit her in self-defense. I call bullshit. Even though he hit her several times, quite obviously from the blood spatter, she was on the ground. Self-defense is one or two hits to get them off of you so you that you can escape. drag somebody. It was obvious she had been dragged back into the house because he hit her 
It's not drag, just drug. Drug. He dragged her. He drug her back in the house? Yes. Whatever. Any English majors? Correct us. Inform us. English was not my best call subject. Us, call us English. <laughs> All right. So he says he actually felt so bad about what he had done that while he was waiting on his parents to get there, or before he called his parents, we don't know which one because I don't necessarily believe this actually happened. But anyway, he tells the police that he went outside to his truck. And taped a garden hose to the tailpipe in an attempt to poison himself with carbon dioxide. However, he looks up and sees the rosary hanging in his truck, and then he's like, oh, I can't do this. I call bullshit. So, later on, when you get to stories two and three. And that doesn't work as well with modern cars. Because pretty much everything. This was in the 90s, so I don't know what year it was. Pretty much everything since the 80s has had a catalytic converter on it, which. I don't believe he did it. No. I believe he was just trying to get sympathy. Like, oh, I felt so bad about what I did. He was playing the bullshit scam. Because remember I said he had these little minor injuries that had to be treated? So, those injuries did not come from Jill. They did not? By the time he gets to story number three, he admits that there was a nail on the wall, and he had used a nail on the wall to, like, scratch himself to make it seem as though Jill had injured him. Are you for real? I am very for real. Jeff's a piece of shit. We are only getting started, sir. Oh, Lord. Are you serious? Yep. So at the hospital, it was believed that Jill was actually hit in the skull at least four times with the bat. Probably more, but at least four. Her right arm was also broken. And she was brought immediately to surgery and required over 10 pints of blood. 10 pints. That's a lot of blood. Yeah. Can you imagine how much blood was in that kitchen? He just left her there. There's no telling how long. There's no accurate. The kids can't. I mean, they can tell time, but I mean, they're not emotionally able to tell. At this point, they is traumatized Exactly. These poor kids. Like, you can't. They can't. It's not like they were like, well, it only was 15 minutes before Mama and Papa got there. Or it was only an hour before Mama and Papa got there. Like, nobody really knows how long she was laying there. And he's not telling the truth. So you can't go by what he says. So you don't know how long. I mean, it's a miracle. He had to have thought she was going to die for him to finally. If they had not brought that doctor, I don't think his parents would have called 911. I think they'd have helped him bury her in the backyard. More to come. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Lord. On why I think that. So this is a very twisted and convoluted story. It's a long, sad story. So over the next few months, though Jill is still alive, she is in the hospital. Because remember, this happens in April. Mm -hmm. So she would battle, like, brain swelling, you know, like having parts of her skull removed. Yeah, that's never a good thing. And she would have multiple infections because, I mean, just anytime you're... It's just, I mean, she just fought through a lot. You think? Just, I mean, it wasn't like, oh, I broke my arm and it's, we've got to set it and heal. This was, she was constantly in and out of surgery. She was constantly on IV antibiotics. She never left the hospital. She was in, you know, in the hospital. Um, she became emaciated. 
her body, you know, she was on IV feeding and like TPN. And then she can only tolerate so much. So they would have to lower it down. Because if you're not absorbing it, you have to, you know, you have a goal that you set mm-hmm. that you're trying to get somebody up to. But just because you have this goal, you can't just force it in them. Like if your body's not going to absorb it, it's not going to absorb it. So then they'll overload and then they're going to, you have to push it back and stop it and all that kind of stuff. But the human body is a very strange and convoluted machine. It's an amazing machine. It's so cool. Stupid spleen. <laughs> she battled brain damage and sufferable pain. So she had a lot of pain and repeated bouts of meningitis. So she would have good days and bad days. So I think we all do to some degree. Yeah. But I mean, she would have like days where it was like, we need to go shopping. Like talking to her sister, like, oh, mm-hmm. when I get out of here, we can go shopping. And then, like, the next day, she might not be able to talk. Like, just depending on, it wasn't like a steady, like, mountain progression of, oops, sorry, steady mountain progression of healing. It, you know, it was definitely like waves, like, oh, we think she's going to do better. Oh, she's not. Because she's going through physical therapy. She's got to learn how to redo everything. She's got to learn how to talk. She's got to learn how to eat. She's got to learn how to walk. Well, I mean, obviously she has brain damage at this point. Yes. So since arriving at the hospital, Jill had endured 15 surgeries. That's a lot of surgeries. I'd hate to see this hospital bill. I can't even imagine. Hopefully they rented, like, um, donations and stuff. But more on that. Okay, so she worked hard to relearn basic functions. More to come. More to come. More to come. (laughs) Well, we're getting there. Including how to say her children's name. So it was a big deal when she was able to, you know, say Tim and Mary's name and the kids. Because at first, they wouldn't bring the kids up there because they didn't want the kids to see her. Because they didn't want to scare her. And she didn't have enough of a memory to where she could give them, like, this is what happened that day. You know? Like, I was minding my own business, and he came up behind me and hit me with a bat. Or, yeah, we were arguing about this. That's why we kind of don't know for sure. Mm -hmm. Because she would say stuff, but you don't know. Is that really true? Because she would have, like, various... Like, at one point, she said something about she remembered him hitting her with a shovel. So they know that didn't happen, but maybe in her mind, it hurt so bad. Oh, my God, this must be a shovel. And so her brain translated it. So that's why... You're like, okay, is this information true or is this, you know, you don't know. To think that, what, four pounds of gray mush in our head can do so much and yet so little sometimes. It's so crazy. She was, like I said, put through hours and hours of rehab. So Jeff was indicted in June for. Attempted murder. Assault in the first degree and criminal possession of a weapon in the fourth degree. Where is the attempted murder charge, sir? I would love to know that. Uh, There should be one. Because that's attempted murder. If you hit somebody four times in the head with a bat and leave them on the floor bleeding, that's attempted murder. That is not I love you. That is not (laughs) self-defense. That is attempted murder. I'm hiding all bats for the foreseeable future. (laughs) The only thing... You are not allowed to tell me I love you with them. (laughs) I said it's not. Okay, so Jeff was not even in jail. His bail was only $100,000, so Mommy and Daddy paid for it. So he is out. He is not. She is convalescing in this ridiculous hospital bed, having 15 damn surgeries, and he's big chilling at their house. 
Mm. Somebody needs to go beat Jeff. I wish. Jill's parents, of course, were slightly angry about the situation. I mean, I can't imagine why. And they were worried about the safety of their grandchildren. Because they're like, this man is not stable. He cannot be around our grandchildren. So a custody battle ensued. And the kids were placed with Jill's parents and her sister. So they had pretty much rented a place um, in town. Mm -hmm. So they were staying there. They had the kids staying with them. And then, like, Deborah would come up and stay a lot. And luckily, her husband, her husband seemed to be really sweet. Like I said, they were high school sweethearts. So her whole family was really great. Like, her brother would come see her and, like, they would, you know, help her through physical therapy days and stuff like that. And so they got a lot, like, that whole wave of getting better and getting worse and getting better was really hard on them, too, because they would come and see her. Like, say Deborah would come see her on a Wednesday and, like, oh, she could, you know, like I said, say, oh, let's go shopping when I get out of here, blah, blah, blah. And then when she came back the next week, maybe she couldn't talk to her and get out of bed, you know. And it was Mm -hmm. like, you were just doing this last week and now we're back. You know, we're reverting back. So they would get their hopes up and then she would revert back. And it was a constant, you know, battle all around. And in the meantime, you know, her parents are fighting for this custody case. Which, you know, nothing to do with a lawyer is cheap, even if you are right. So they're paying for, you know, for a lawyer to fight for custody. And then they're paying to rent a place so they can stay there. And then, you know, all this is going on. And they're, you know, they're feeding two more mouths because you got two kids and you got to feed them and you got to entertain them. And you, they've got to start therapy. I'm pretty sure most lawyers charge you just to knock on their door. Pretty much. This lawyer seemed to be actually pretty good, though. Although, lawyer I visited uh, last week for work was pretty damn cool. They can be. He, older, he's getting to the point he's about ready to retire. But, cool guy. I'm glad you liked him. You need to go back and see him since he gave you information. <laughs> An order from the court prohibited Jeff from seeing the kids or from entering the hospital that Jill was in. So he's not supposed to come see her. Even though he's out on bail, he's not supposed to come anywhere near her. And Jeff's parents continued to defend him. Well, of course, their little baby would never do anything. So they were allowed to have visitation, even though her parents had primary custody. They would still give visitation to the other grandparents. And they knew he was not supposed to see the kids. But they would either go bring the kids to him or let him come over while they had the kids. So they would sneak him visitation. So they're shitty parents and grandparents then. Yes. So despite the kids' therapist stating how traumatizing it would be for them to see their father, like, the therapist was fully on board. Like, these kids do not need to be anywhere near their father. And repeatedly said it over and over. No chitlins for you, fucker. He lost the right to them. When you killed, well, not killed, but attempted to kill their mother in front of them. In front of, like, it's bad enough to kill their mom, but you did it in front of them. Right? Like, you basically beat, you beat her with a bat in front of them. That's horrible. That's a not kid's cool. going to be traumatized if you beat a stranger in front of them. Like, if you beat a homeless man in front of them, that would traumatize them, much less their own mom. Right. And they can't be with their mom every day. They're little, you know, and she seemed like she was a great mom, a very involved mm-hmm. mom. 
And they're at that age where, you know, they're like fourth and fifth grade-ish. So you're still at the age where you like your mom and you want your mom around and you want to go on like, I got to go on field trips. I need my mom to come with me. You know, I got to do, I want to have sleepovers. Mom, can my friends come over? Well, nobody's going to let their friend come over and sleep with you when your dad on bail and your mom's in the damn hospital because <laughs> of the dad. Right. So she progressed at, and was improving and was actually moved to the rehab unit of the University of New York Health Science Center in Syracuse on October 25th. So this is April to October that she's been in the hospital. That bill's going to be hellacious. I mean, it's just, that's a long time. It's so hard. So on October 27th, 1998, a Tuesday night, several staff noticed a man in a janitor's uniform on the second floor rehab unit. They didn't recognize him. And his uniform was a little off. They were like, was he new? They're like, everybody's checking him. They're like, maybe I just don't know you. Does he have the proper credentials? Well, they start looking at his ID badge and there's no photo. So they start checking. Yeah, that's not cool. Concerned about the presence of the unknown man, at 10 p.m. on this quiet unit, an LPN Vicky calls security. And they're like, oh, crap. Let's go check Jill's room. So the charge nurse Julie and Vicky head to Jill's room, room 2206. And they find Jill gasping for air with her face turning blue. Oh, that's not cool. As other staff joined them to try and help Jill, they could smell almonds in the air. She was allergic to almonds, wasn't she? No. You can tell you're not a true crime fan if almonds don't tell you what it is. That makes me happy that you don't know. Well. Julie started CPR, and they were able to get her pulse back. With that bit of information that you just gave me, that tells me that some sort of chemical compound that is commonly used to try and poison somebody. Doctors administered the antidote for cyanide. No more almond flavor cakes. It's not the same. (laughs) (laughs) As much as I love them, no more. (laughs) They gave her the antidote. Yay. And they tried to bring her back. Oh, you said tried. But it was too late. Jill's organs had shut down. Sadness. Her family removed her from life support at 6.45 p.m. on Wednesday, October 28th. She was only 41. So she fought from April to almost the end of October to get her life back. And then just like that, it's over. Fuck you, Jeff. Jill's autopsy verified that she had been administered potassium cyanide. And it was a lot. Like... They pretty much had to, like... Obviously, it was a lethal dose. Yeah, I mean, it was more than, like, more... It was an excessive dose. Excessive. And, like, it was so strong, like, they had to wear, like, protective equipment to even be in the room once they realized what it was, because they were worried about it getting to them. Yeah. She had scrapes and scratches around her mouth, because he put it in her mouth. He didn't put it in, like, a feeding tube. He fought her and made her swallow it, so she knew it was coming. So she had scrapes and scratches like around her mouth to try and keep from swallowing it, and he shoved it down her mouth. He's an asshole. Beyond asshole. Jeff was finally arrested for murder. 
Yay! If he hadn't have been out on bail. We're very trusting to say, now, Jeff, don't go to the hospital. Be a good boy. That just goes to we show you just a fucking restraining ass. order ain't gonna do shit. We could have just left his ass in the jail. But oh no, we couldn't do that. What? So the police began investigating, and they found internet searches on his home computer, because you know he's a genius, for cyanide and ordering potassium cyanide all the way back to May. So this happens in, the baseball incident is in April. By May, he's looking up potassium cyanide. He'd been planning this for a month. He just had to figure out a way to get it to her. So she had told people she had seen Jeff and that he had been in her room. And they didn't believe her because she was so confused at times. So they were like, oh, she's just imagining this. And now they're like. Oh, shit. Maybe she wasn't. Exactly. They also found letters on the computer that Jeff had faked that were from a company in Syracuse called General Super Platy. And the letters were sent to Bryant Laboratories where they had placed orders for potassium cyanide. So basically, he used this company. So he long conned them. Oh, he did this whole thing. He ordered it more than once. I mean, you can't exactly just jump on Amazon and order up some potassium cyanide. So he impersonates this general superplating, orders the potassium cyanide from the Bryant Laboratories, then intercepts like the UPS driver and says, oh, hey, I work there. You want me to go ahead and take this shipment for you so you don't have to come by there? And the guy's like, that's weird. But he gives it to him, but he thinks it's weird enough that he writes down the license plate of the guy that did it. That license plate will track back to Jeff's brother. Hmm. And then on another time, they find out that he got a second shipment, but the UPS driver wouldn't give it to him this time. So he, like, snuck into the general superplating and takes it from there. And they realize, like, they've got, like, this bill and stuff and these invoices, and they're like, we didn't order this. Like, what is this? So they start researching, and they figure out what's going on. So hmm. he was very involved. It was, I mean, it's very sneaky. Not gonna lie. So the police are there doing a search of the home, and Jeff's mom. So we all love so much, and one of his brothers drive up to the property, and they're like, "You know, we're executing our search warrant. What do you need?" And they're like, oh, we need to just get some things for Jeff. We just need to get them from the house. And they're like, no. Nah. <laughs> and then they're like, um, well, we just need to get by the shed because he's got some stuff in there we need to get to. Can we just go by there and not in the house? And they're like, nope, no, but thanks for the pointer. We'll go search <laughs> it now. Which they do. So when they search, they find a bottle of potassium cyanide. Hey. And a half-burned wig that matches what the people said the janitor was wearing at the hospital. Thanks, parents. So they were trying to come and get stuff and hide for him. No, when he murdered her. Okay, this whole family fucking sucks. That's why I'm like, was it the CIA brother? Two of you bitches work for the CIA. 
Some fucking people. Jesus. Like, this is what you raised. Little Miss Holier Than Now is a fucking accessory to murder. Like, yeah, like you're reading Bible verses. Where in Bible verses does it say cover up for your murdering fucking son? <laughs> Show me, Patty, where it says that. I'd like to see it. I need to calm down. I'm going to rant, but she makes me sim. They both make me mad, but she makes, like, I love our children, but I am not helping them. Like, when they get married, they're like, oh, mom, guess what I did, which God forbid that that ever happens and we're ever in that position. But if they think I'm going to cover up for them, they don't know me. Oh, hell no. You'll fucking, both of us will squeal on a half a heartbeat. I'll come see you at prison. I'll still love you, but your ass going to be in prison. Damn right. I'll come read some Bible verses to you then. You're going to find Jesus at that point. You're going to find Jesus. You're going to find Bubba, one or the other. Mm -hmm. So law enforcement were able to find witnesses who, like I said, confirmed that they saw Jeff intercept those two shipments, the two separate ways that we talked about. (laughs) And he was indicted on November 19th for two counts of first-degree murder and some related crimes, you know, from the origin and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And the DA announced that he would seek the death penalty. Yay. But wait, there's more. So, he was found guilty of both counts of first-degree murder and first-degree assault. Because they put, he had not been tried for the assault charge. And why the hell not? Because it hadn't gone to trial yet. So, they were trying to say that he killed her because he didn't want her to be a witness for his assault of her. I don't think that's why he did it. I think he just did it because he didn't finish his job. He, he thought she was dead when he called his mom. It didn't occur. He was never going to call 911. If that doctor hadn't been there, mama would have helped hide her. I'm telling you, she would have helped hide, it, hide that body by the shed. So at no point in time was he planning on calling the police. Well, he was planning on her dying right then. So... I don't think he gave a damn about whether she testified or not because she wasn't, her memory wasn't fully complete anyway. But that was, that was the prosecution's theory was that, you know, oh, he was trying to not have a witness to the incident, but they had enough medical records and all that kind of stuff. Plus the two kids, plus the parents, <laughs> plus that family friend doctor that could have testified. Plus he had, you know, Admitted to hitting her and admitting to self-inflicting wounds and all that kind of stuff. So they didn't really need her. I think he just wanted to finish what he started because he was an asshole. Obviously. The jury did give him the death penalty. Yay. Now, the reason in New York that you could get the death penalty at this time was because of aggravating factors. So his aggravating factors were... He had two. One was burglary. So he went to the hospital and he wasn't supposed to. So they did that as a burglary. He, you know, broke into the hospital and killed her. So that's your aggravating factor. His second one was killing a witness because of the assault trial that we just talked about. Mm -hmm. So in 2003, he appealed these aggravating factors in the death penalty portion. And it was overturned because those aggravating factors were thrown out and therefore they deemed the death penalty was not an option any longer because they said it's not burglary to come into the hospital. He didn't burglarize. Like he wouldn't, wasn't coming there to steal anything. He specifically came there to kill her. 
and that. But if I'm not mistaken, didn't wasn't there a restraining order? He was told not to come. But there was never official. We know he was legally banned from any hospital she was in. But it's not burglary. No, but damn sure is trespassing. So this was overturned, and he was sentenced to twenty-five years to life. And he can seek parole in twenty thirty-six when he will be seventy-five. Do not let him out. Or let him out unless somebody be waiting for him on the other side of that fence with a baseball bat. They got baseball bats in jail somewhere, I guarantee it. They got bat well, maybe they don't. That's probably not bad. readily available. That's I'm probably sure. not a good idea. They have basketballs. With enough strength, you could probably beat somebody to death with a bat. Truthfully, with enough strength, you could probably beat anybody to death with anything. But real man just needs bare hands. <laughs> that sounded awful and very redneck. Please do not do that. It was supposed to sound awful, but the face you made was worth it. It was awful. I'm embarrassed. And I'm not cutting that either. I know you won't. And that horrifies <laughs> me. Well, let's talk about Tim and Mary. So they live with their Aunt Debbie now, which Yay. was Jill's sister. And have had and many cousin. years of successful therapy. Yes, they definitely. They got, I mean, they got them in therapy ASAP. Like, they definitely did. Um, the hospital security company, Doyle Security, was sued on behalf of the kids for not keeping her safe. So they got an Reasonable. $850,000 settlement that was put away for the kids to have when they turned 18. Hopefully into some sort of fund or whatever that yeah, has grown Yeah, it went into like a time. trust that, you know... They, did it. they didn't do it for them. They did it just for the kids. So her family fought for years for something called Jilly's Law, which would allow judges to deny bail based on a, like a wider criteria, criteria. So basically saying he should never have gotten bail because this was such a violent act. Like it was based on what is his likelihood at the time. It was based on what is his likelihood to escape, like to flee. Okay. How many people have we talked about here where the perpetrator is arrested prior and makes bail mm-hmm. and then goes back and kills whatever victim that we're talking about at the time? Mm-hmm. We definitely had the one in Australia for sure. I remember exactly. that one vividly. And her parents fought for stricter bail laws. If it is a violent crime of any sort, bail should not be an option. Simple as that. Especially like something domestic violence like this. I mean, this is this was attempted murder. I don't know where they got like this was assault. It was not assault. I don't know what their legal definition is of assault versus attempted murder, but I do not, I cannot un- understand how this doesn't qualify as attempted murder. Well, unfortunately, there is so much gray in so many of the laws. And so many of the definitions of what this and that and the other are. And he had no, well, he did have criminal, he had the shoplifting and stuff, but he had no violent criminal record. And she had never reported he did this or he did that. Like I said, we are pretty sure that there was. Her family is very, you know, very much believed that this was not the first incident, just that it was the worst. And his family, of course, is maintaining his Uh, innocence. I don't even know if they say he's innocent. They just are evil and don't care. So, Jilly's law was actually added to the comprehensive domestic violence law that was passed in 2012. 2012. 
13 years after. Really long. That's, yeah. And before we discuss anything, if you are in the United States and you need any help with domestic violence, you can text START, S-T-A-R-T, to 88788. You can go on org and chat live, or you can call 1-800-799-SAFE. And they do have a way, like if you're online and you want to look at the hotline, they have a quick exit where it'll take it away so nobody will know that you've been looking at that. Like you can quickly get out of it. It's not like going to stay up on your screen. And if you're concerned about somebody. you need that. But you do. If you're concerned about somebody looking over your shoulder at your home or on your personal devices, go to the library. Almost every library nowadays has computers that are free to use. This is true, but you also, some people aren't allowed to go places without their significant other. Fair point. I'll give you that. Because they're assholes. I'll give you that. So, unfortunately. All right. So, what are our final thoughts, sir? Tom. Jeff can fuck right off. Yeah. Tom stayed, speaking of Tom, I'm glad you, I forgot to mention that, like, when I when I said he stayed with her, like during her hospital stay, he didn't be like, well, I, I didn't sign up for this, you know, and like he stayed up in New York as well and stayed with her and would come and see her constantly and was constantly on her side as well. Like very supportive, just like you would expect, you know, a long-term relationship to be like, he didn't just. I feel like if Jeff wouldn't have played the cyanide card the way he did. She probably would have ended up with Tom and happy. Not necessarily back to normal, but yeah. It would be a new normal for her. She would probably have some. Residual. I I would be willing to bet maybe some motor skills that are lacking. And I'm willing to bet probably some memory issues as well. But she still could have watched her kids grow up. She she could have lived a relatively normal life. You know, she still could have, you know, if he was willing to stay around and come to the hospital and stuff. It seems like he was planning to stay in it for the long haul. Right. And that's why I kind of liked him because he wasn't like, oh no, this is too much for me. I'm out. So that's the only reason that I was like, okay, he seems like a really nice guy. Just out of curiosity, he didn't have to be any sort of major in the military, was he? No, I forgot. I think he was, they just said he was like a businessman. I read the book. I read a book called While She Slept by Marion Collins. Really, really good. I'm sorry, I've still got ma- ground control. I'm major sure you do, which head. literally has nothing to do with anything that we're talking about, sir. I know. It's the squirrel factor in me, though. I'm sorry. Well, I mean, it's something that could have easily been avoided if he had not been given bail. Oh, so very much thank so. Thank God there's bail reform. And they need to be taken, looking. Like I said, any violent crime of any sort needs to not have bail as an option, period. I also think, and this is just random, because I was listening to a case about another person who (coughs) killed his girlfriend after multiple domestic violence and restraining orders from multiple women. Like, Mm -hmm. from the time that he got his teenage girlfriend pregnant on to, like, this is in his 30s when he kills this girlfriend. So... Like there, like we have a registry of sex offenders, why do we not have a registry of domestic violence people? 
Like you, if you have a restraining order against you for a legitimate domestic violence case, before you ask me out, why can't I go look at that and say, there are three girls that have a restraining order against you. No, thank you. I'm good. Nah, I'm good. Like, like a wife beater database, basically. Yeah, like I'm at like something that shows like, you know, this person, this guy had multiple arrests, like, and his dad was a celebrity in the town, and they kept like brushing it off, like he had gotten bar fights and hit people with beer bottles, and was constantly hitting women, and just constantly like multiple, like it wasn't like. Like, you're talking like 15 arrests or something in a row before he finally killed this girl. And it's like... It needs to be curtailed before it gets to 15 arrests. Yeah, exactly. So, like, if you've... Like, almost like a three strikes type of thing. Not that you should really be given three times to hit somebody. But if you have a domestic violence charge against, say, Susie, and she gets away... So that's one. Say you mm-hmm. got arrested and you only got sent to say God, like it would actually happen. Like you got six, six minutes to jail. That would be amazing, but probably wouldn't happen. But it was <laughs> on your record. Just say probation or whatever you got. Yeah. For Susie. Well, that's one. Well, now you're dating Tiffany or whatever. And Why it's got to be Tiffany? I don't know. <laughs> I'm just picking random names. And you have an incident with her. Well, that's number two. And now you're dating Jill. And we're on incident number three. That should be like one to like, okay, you obviously don't need to be around women. You are for sure. You know, you've hit three different women, you know, or if there's three different incidents against Tiffany, you're done. Like, Mm -hmm. why do we constantly just say, oops, okay, well, we're just going to give you a slap on the wrist. And they know that. And some men are worth it. Like they have stalker stories where guys are like, yeah, I'm going to stay in five years, five years, nothing. I'll see her when I get out. And they mean that shit. Yeah. They literally get out of jail or prison, whichever one they're in, and they've had nothing to do now but to go five years of thinking about this one person who put them in jail that they were already obsessed with to begin with. Sitting there thinking and plotting. Yeah. So it's only worse when they get out. And if you're one of those people that only gets violent when you drink, don't fucking drink. That's another thing. Like, if you know... That's another domestic violence case. It reminds me, like, he knows, like... I know that that ties in a lot yeah, to domestic that was violence. The, the Yardley Love case. She was in college, about to graduate, and dated her college boyfriend, who came from money, and he was consistently drinking, and it was, oh, well, I'm only an asshole when I drink. I only do this when I drink. Well, don't fucking well, she, drink. Well, at a certain point, you know that, you know? Mm-hmm. At a certain point, you figured out, I put my hands on you when I drink. So that's my, I mean, it's always your responsibility, but it's especially, it's your responsibility at a certain point to go, I can't drink. I can't handle my alcohol because I turn into somebody else. So therefore I can't do this. And you can't turn around and be like, oops, this was an accident. I was drunk and I didn't know any better. That's not an excuse. Exactly. But we constantly make excuses for, I know I'm on boys. I understand domestic violence can go both ways. But the percentages are higher toward women. So I don't exactly please don't think that I'm about to like think that women cannot be abusive because I'm well aware they can. But it's just the cases that I'm taking women as well, too. Yeah. Absolutely. Some women can be really wild when they're drinking, you know? Mm -hmm. So and get violent. If you know that, 
to stay away Don't from the sauce. Don't do that. Every, I mean, it is a drug. Whether you like it or not, it is a drug that affects Agreed. your body chemistry. Everyone has a different body chemistry. What I drink, you know, I can drink the same thing as you or as another woman or whatever, and we're all going to be affected differently. You yep. may not even feel it. I might be, you know, falling down. That other person, you know. And also the amount of food that you've eaten throughout the day affects that too. Yeah. I mean, if you know you're one of these people who can't handle something, you just don't do it. I'm a happy fun people say all, People say, say all the time, you know, oh, I can't. Oh, you know, I like, what, what does your mom say? She can't. Oh, your mom's like, oh, I can't eat cucumbers summer because they upset my stomach. Okay, so she avoids cucumbers. Exactly. Which is random. Nobody would think like cucumbers are going to affect your stomach, but she knows that, so she avoids them. It's like, the same thing. If alcohol I, turns me into a dick, I'm not going to drink alcohol. If I eat something before I, within an hour before going to lay down in bed, I it's guaranteed I will get heartburn. I don't eat late in the evening unless I know I'm going to be staying up a significant amount of time. I don't know. <laughs> I wish I'd have gone to law school so I could like. Do stuff <laughs> instead of just vent. Yes, but now you have a form to vent on. Yeah, but I don't know have that people anybody... that enjoy listening to your venting. God, I hope so. If you do enjoy listening to us venting, that's a good segue, <laughs> baby. If you do enjoy listening to us venting or expressing our lovely opinions or listening to Clint talk about bands that, you know, you may or may not like, we don't know. Hey, there ain't nothing wrong with David Bowie. Nothing wrong with David Bowie, but, you know. You went way back in the Wayback Machine. You brought us back there to begin with. I just pulled something from the air. You weren't even sure who you were pulling at the time. Nonetheless, <laughs> go to wherever you listen to us. And we know we have a lot of you Apple podcast listeners. As much as Clint hates Apple, that's where they have reviews. I'm aware. Go give us. I wasn't talking to you. I was talking to them. Go give us a review. Say, she vents like a crazy person. Say, he, he's an asshole. He is a little redneck. Big redneck. Yeah, but I, I still love them. <laughs> and give us five stars. And tell your friends. And tell them to come give us a review. And we would greatly appreciate it. And God willing, we are back on our weekly schedule. That's the plan. Now that uh, somebody's not always tired. Thanks Have to like... Four half-written episodes. I just have to hurry up and finish them. Thanks to an evil, angry mass. Unexpected, too. That has... It's not like I could plan for it. Like, oh. nausea equal jamungus spleen mass. Right? Who knew? I'm going to just be a little boring appendectomy. God. <laughs> now I have to take my temperature all the time, y'all. And I don't have a regular temperature, so my temperature's like... Normally it runs lower than everybody else, and then you have to try and explain, okay, this is actually fever on me, but it, they don't believe you, even though you're a nurse. So annoying. Yeah, but she's So weird. I'm just going to waste, I'm not going to waste my time unless my temperature is actually fever, according to their scale. So I'll just have low-grade temp fever and not worry about it. Here's a thought. If you track it and keep records of it. I did. That's why I know that I don't run 98.6 like most people. I also thanks know that to COVID. Also, yeah, exactly. That's the reason I know. But I also, because I used to have to keep it when I was the DON, I had all of my staff's temperature, and we would track everybody's every day. And the majority of the people did not run 98.6. The majority of the people ran in the 97s. I want to say I typically run 97.7, 97.6 in that area. 
You run a little higher than that. You run closer to 98 than me, for sure. Upper 97s. I'm like 96.8 to 97.2. So by the time I get to 98.6. 98.6 is just kind of the... I know, but it's hard to explain. The usual it, average. They're like, yeah, I fever if you're not 101. I'm like, I've got 101. I've got a huge infection, people. <laughs> All right. Well, thank y'all for listening. We appreciate y'all. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. Right. And we hope you come back for the next ones. We hope you go back in And time. if you haven't listened to us before, go back and catch some of the old ones. Go listen to that Australian case. I don't remember what episode that was. I'd have to go back and look at my list. Not too far back, maybe 15 or 20 episodes ago. There's only 56 episodes, so. Only. 57. You can binge us. If you got to go on a long car ride, we're great for a weekend. If you can deal with us that long. Hey, I've spent 10 hours plus in a car with you before. This ain't that bad. Well, that doesn't mean they want to spend 10 hours plus in a car. (laughs) I guess we'll find out. Y'all have a great week. Bye, y'all.